Uh, this morning we're going to continue to talk on the subject of faith to faith. And I believe in this room that there are only winners. I believe in this room there are only those who are victors. And I believe that only those who are in this room or those who are in this room are only overcomers. And I'm not saying that to blow smoke at you. I truly believe that. But you know what? Even better than I believing it is that your heavenly father believes that about you. That you're an overcomer, that you are a victor, and that you are more than a conqueror. Those are the things that he sees us to be. No matter what we're going through and what we're facing, that's how our Father sees us. What that means is this, and I want you to hear these words carefully, is that no one is at a disadvantage in God's kingdom. Amen. There's not a single individual in this room that is at a disadvantage in the kingdom of God, which also means this, is that there is no one that is at a disadvantage when it comes to living this life that he's called us to live. I know many of you are in social media, and oftentimes when we scroll through pictures and we look at other people's lives, what happens, it's very easy for us to what? Compare ourselves. And most often, our comparison leads us to a place of, man, they have something that I don't have. Their life is something that's not like my life. They, they must have an advantage. They're, they're happy or they, they, God has must, must have graced them with something because my life is so much harder. And when you realize that in God's kingdom, there's no different individuals, that he sees us the same, that he does not have a preference over one to another, that there's no disadvantage that you have, no matter your gifting or your calling, it doesn't matter if you were given one talent or if you were given five, the one with one talent was not at a disadvantage. He was given that according to the gifts that God gave him. And so to think otherwise is not kingdom thinking. To believe that in life I'm at a disadvantage, either because of my race or because of my upbringing or because I've only had one parent or because I had multiple parents or because um, I was neglected or because I went to that school and I didn't go to this school. What happens is we begin to believe, contrary to what the kingdom says, that I'm at a disadvantage to live the life that God has called me to live. But when you become a son... And a daughter of the living God, your, your playing field has now just given you the advantage. Why? Because all of heaven's favor is now attracted to you. Why? Because you are a son of the living God. Now think about that for a moment. All of God's favor is now attracted to you. Why? Because Jesus lives where? On the inside of us. And his favor means that he now has a bias towards you. That you now have a divine advantage to live the life that God has called you to live. But how many of us, because of our upbringing or because of where we've come from and, and what we didn't have growing up, we see ourselves as, man, I just need to push a little harder and strive a little bit more and grind a little bit more and maybe then I can have an advantage in this life. Each and every one of us in this room have a purpose that God has specifically given to each person in this room. But what I love about that is every purpose comes with the grace to walk out the very things that you've been called to do. The reason why this isn't so important, that word grace is just really God's empowering presence in your life, is that when he gives us a purpose, how many know that that purpose is not just a rosy, nice little journey? That purpose is filled with opposition. That purpose is filled with adversity. That purpose is filled with enemies. That purpose is filled with obstacles and U-turns and detours. And so when you have that purpose that you believe, God, you have called me to do this. He says, I've also given you a grace so that you would realize you can do all things through Christ. That there's this grace that comes upon you to do what you've called to do. If you've been called to be a father, he gives you a grace to be a father. If he's called you to be a mother or a wife or a husband, he's given you also a grace for that purpose that he's called you to. 
that you don't go, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes to be a good father. Yes, you do. He's given you his empowering presence that is with you all the time. The Holy Spirit actually is with you to guide you, to show you how to be a good father or a husband or a wife or a grandma. Whatever it is that you've been called to do, that purpose on your life comes with a grace to fulfill it. That grace also gives you the ability to endure. Endurance is huge because many times we want to just throw in the towel. That we just want to kind of just cast it in. But he says in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, After you've done the will of God, you have need of endurance so that you could receive what is yours to receive. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, I believe it's on the screen. It says that he who has saved us, speaking of Jesus, and he's called us with a what? A holy calling. The gentleman or myself who just stands up here behind a pulpit is not the only one with a calling. The one that you see on TV or the evangelist or the apostle, the prophet, that's not just the calling he's referring to. He has saved us and he is calling all of us with this holy calling, which is what? To represent Jesus Christ wherever you are. To realize that Christ lives on the inside of each and every one of you. And by the Holy Spirit, you are empowered to be transformed to look like Jesus. And he says, this calling is not according to our works, but according to what? His own purpose and his own grace, which was given to us, where? In Christ. That that grace, when you, when you step into that place that God has given to you, he's put you in Christ, and he's placed Christ within you, there's a grace to live the life that he's calling you to live. I'm, I'm, the reason I'm sharing this, and I just hope you understand, when I put these messages together, I'm building upon something so that you can begin to see the foundation laid so that when we get into this idea of faith, there's something that we can stand on. So no matter how hard life has hit you or is hitting you, just realize that you're still standing. Like you showed up today. That's half the battle is showing up when life says, you know what, there's no, no more reason to believe God. There's no more reason to trust God. You've done it before and he hasn't come through and why would you keep on standing but yet there's a spirit of God on the in, in, inside of you that just keeps you from quitting, Amen. And you're here today worshiping God. And that speaks volumes both to heaven and to hell. Think about Abraham for a moment. That at the beginning of this message, I called you up into you're a victor and you're a conqueror and you're an overcomer. That's how God sees you. And he approaches Abraham at a, at a, at a place in his life where the two things did not make sense. What God was saying... And where Abraham was at, or Abram at the moment. And he says, Abram, I'm going to make you a what? A father of many nations. I want you to know the key word in that is, I'm going to make you. It's, it's really important because oftentimes we hear God call us something. Hey, you're a victor. You're an overcomer. And you go, well, how am I going to do that? No, I'm going to make you that. You're going to become that as you fellowship and abide. Remember about the branch. The branch doesn't produce fruit on its own. The responsibility of the branch is to what? Abide, not produce fruit. It's the responsibility of the vine to produce fruit through the branch that is abiding in the vine. And so my responsibility is to stay close as I possibly can in fellowship with my Father and allow Him or cause uh, Him cause me to become what He's calling me to be. Gideon, you're a what? Mighty man of valor. Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Moses, I'm going to have you deliver over 2.5 million people from Egypt. And every time we hear these words that God speaks over us, there's an initial reaction of going, not me. He's not talking about me. I'm not a victor. Look at my life. I'm not an overcomer. Look at I'm still struggling with this or with that. And God goes, if you'll just believe what I'm saying the very words that I'm speaking over will cause you to become the very thing that I've spoken over you. Did that make any sense? Yeah. So the words that God is speaking over you 
will now be the very thing that empowers you or causes you to become the things that God spoke over you because he sees us from a different perspective. And I pray today that God's word will cause you to stand tall when life throws some of its ugliest punches at you, to be able to stand with confidence in the face of adversity. What is adversity? It's, it's circumstances contrary to what we hope to accomplish, to where we hope that we're going. How many times do you believe, man, God's called me to do this, and so you're walking down, you're just like, man, this is going to be awesome. You're dreaming about it. You're, you're envisioning how cool it's going to be for God to use you, and you're going to see the fruit from your labor. And then, man, something happens where it's like you're like, okay, man, which way was I going again? Where, God, where are we at? And then just like Job, he said, Lord, I look on my left and you're not there. On my right, I don't feel you. In front, I can't even see you. I don't even know if you're behind me. Yet he said these words, I know the way that I'm taking. I, or you know the way that I'm taking. To trust completely. And I hope that throughout this course of this message, what I'm doing is trying to persuade you that you can trust God again. But you can't trust somebody you don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can't just... Come in here and go, hey, I'm going to trust God. This message is not to get you to trust God more. It's to realize and remind you how good God really is and that he's never left your side and you may not feel him, but he's still with you every step of the way. And to also, I pray that this message will cause you to know that you're not just going to make it in life, but you're going to overcome and you're going to thrive in this life. Amen? I know some of you seem so far from that, myself included, to where God, wait, wait, are these just words that he's speaking? No, these words have the ability to call you up into the very things that they're saying. But in order to overcome a thriving Christian experience with the Father hinges on two words. Deny self. there's anything that the Lord's been teaching me over these last three weeks, it's the power of these two words. As the disciples and everybody that's coming toward Christ, they're, they're, they're coming to follow someone that they heard many things about. They've seen miracles from his hands, and so there's crowds that are following him. And they come up to Jesus asking him this question, can we follow you? And he says these words back to him in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It'll be on the screen. He said, and when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, okay, whoever of you desires to follow me, I have a step. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now those words are extremely important because if you've never denied yourself, and I'm going to explain what that means in just a minute. Because I truly believe that God has his finger on something in your life that you're, he's attempting to kill off, but it keeps on coming back inside your life. But if we truly understood what those words mean, then what happens is we don't fit Christianity and all the messages through a self-lens. What that means is that when you listen to the Word of God or you read the Word of God, and we talked about this before, and you have the lens of self on, and you read this, you go, all right, I'm a Christian. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, he's going to make me happy. Oh, he's going to prosper me. Oh, he's going to heal me. None of these are bad, but I just want you to see something for a moment. My goodness. Oh, and he's called me to do this, and he's called me to do this. Holy. Wow, this... This is amazing. Like, this is a better life. And so we get excited now that God is in our life to make our life what? Better. And then there's certain passages that we read and we go, oh, that doesn't make sense. Like, wait, be joyful in the persecution? No, I don't. That, and what happens is we don't do that intentionally, but what, we, we begin to go, okay, God, I have this expectation. Now that I'm serving you, now that I'm worshiping you, now that I'm doing all these things for you, that somehow you're just going to part the, the seas of my bad life and just make them better. And so when persecution comes, which is promised, when difficulties comes, which is promised, when challenging 
parts of our life come which is promised, we begin to go, God, what, why? And God, when are you going to get me through this? And, and so what happens is we see life through a lens of self. And we see God as in our life to make our life a little bit better, a little bit easier, and a little bit what? More comfortable. When in fact, God is in our life to transform us by His Spirit into the image of Jesus Christ so that no matter what challenges that we face off with, we can see life through the lens of Jesus and not the lens of self. And so Jesus is exhorting them, saying, if you want to follow after me, this is extremely important. Take the lens of self off so that you can fully embrace what I'm about to lead you into. Because we are going against what? The current of life. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have challenging times. Can I get an amen? amen? And it doesn't mean that he's in your life to challenge you or to bring bad things upon you. That's not him. He is leading us sometimes to the shadow or the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes he's leading us to green pastures. And we realize there's an enemy. But when you deny yourself, you no longer are trying to protect this. You're trying to become what he's called you to become. Your conversation with God is not about how hard and difficult life is. Your conversation with God is about how good he is. This is not pretending, guys. I, and I know that there's plowing to do when I uh, share this message that we all don't just go, huh, this is great. Life is awesome. Oh, man, God, you're so good. Oh, I can't wait for another challenging moment. That's not how life works at all. He is some, he's growing us up into these things, into this way of thinking. And I truly believe all of us at some level, this is not to call you out, but it's a reality, have something called spiritual dyslexia. Dyslexia. Dyslexia is where a person sees things backwards. A dyslexic, dyslexic person actually sees the word God as what? Dog. And there's a huge difference between God and dog, yet a dyslexic, I don't know if anybody's in this room that has it, they don't see it. They just can't see how those words are not the way that they're supposed to be. But I believe a similar thing has happened to many of us in this room. That we have this ability to turn things around. And so what happens as Christians, you can put this on the screen, is that we see function before what? Relationship. That my function determines my relationship. And many of you have come into this place called New Day with a functional understanding. That in order for me to get closer with God, I need to do this and this and this and this and this. In order for me and God to be good, I need to do this and this and this and this. And some of you had a list of three and some of you, like myself, we have a list of 200. But you never get to the end, do you? You never truly measure up and so we see life differently. And so if the enemy can get us to have that spiritual dyslexia, we begin to believe that function determines my relationship with God. And the Galatians did the same thing. And what did the Paul say to him in Galatians chapter 3? Oh, who has bewitched you? Why are you now seeing life from a backwards perspective that you actually started in the spirit of God, but now what you're doing is you're now working the things out in your flesh? He goes, you got it backwards. And when you flip the script and when you realize it's relationship before what? Function's not bad. Function is a something that comes from a relationship but not the other way around. How about this backwards way of thinking? The next one. I feel, therefore I what? Now that's contrary to the kingdom because some of you can say I feel angry and so instead of expressing that to somebody, what do we say? I am, I am Depressed, I am disappointed, I am mad, I am angry, I am hurt, I am this and I'm this. And so what happens is we take on an identity based upon this, my feeling. And what happens is we get it backwards, we therefore now come to this Christian walk identifying with solely how I'm feeling. Why? Because when you go contrary to your feeling, how many feel like you're pretending? Because God did not say raise up those holy hands because you feel like it. 
And some of you come into this time in Sunday mornings and you struggle to lift your hands freely because of maybe something you did this past week or maybe because life has been so hard. And you go, well, if I raise my hands, but God knows I don't feel like it, then I'm just pretending. No, truly, sometimes you raise your hands just because the one that you're worshiping and not the way that you feel. And I can, I can vouch on my end that your feelings will follow when you do this and engage in God and realize that He is not measuring, measuring you based upon your feelings. He measures you based upon you responding to what He said about you. So when he says, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor, and Gideon's just there, just chilling under the tree, what, what happens? He's, he's scared. And he hears these words, but he feels like he's not qualified. So he feels, therefore, he is. Now, I'm not a mighty man of valor. Moses, I'm calling you to deliver the people of e uh, uh, Israel out of Egypt. Well, I can't do that. Why? Because I stutter. Well, I can't do that. Why? Because who am I, Lord? And so what happens is, I feel, therefore, that's who I am. And so we take on identities all throughout our life, and God is attempting to convince us and persuade us, but this is who I've called you to be. Well, God, I just don't feel that way. And he says, I'm not asking you to live according to how you feel. I'm asking you to live according to a new reality of who I am. It's flipped the script. Here's the last one, and please, when I share this last one, Father, I pray for Val in Jesus' name, and I thank you for what you're doing in this girl's life. Holy Spirit, whatever it is that you're moving inside of her, I just pray that she receives, that she is not how she feels. She's what you've called her to be, and I know she knows that in her head, but Father, I pray that it will drop so deeply into her heart in Jesus' name. Look at this backwards way of thinking and, and almost all of you will see this to be natural. I have a right to be hurt, angry, mad, and to be human. Everybody's like, what's he going to say next? <laughs> You're like, yeah, I have a right to that. Now imagine that because... When he said, deny who? And it breaks my heart what I'm about to say because he said, deny self. And yet, how many of us live with this right? We live with it. I have a right to be hurt by that other person rather than hurt for them. I have a right to be angry with that other person. Why? Because they did me wrong. And Jesus says, deny. I have a right to be mad at that world or, or that teacher that said that thing. Or I have a right to be mad at my parents because they didn't love me like they should or they were divorced. I have a right to be mad at that person. Why? Because they hurt me. And Jesus says, deny yourself. Justin, I know you do, but I died for them as well, and I died for you. And I was hurt on that cross, but I looked at the people and I say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Justin, I gave you a brand new life with grace so you could live the way that I lived my life. That I entrusted myself to no one because I know what was in man. And look at this, I have a right to be what? Human. And this is a process that Jesus is transforming us into who? Our new creation. That the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. So instead of getting moved by life, we're moved by truth. What is truth? 2 Corinthians 5.14, I look at no man according to the flesh. Just recently, Sarah and I had a conversation about uh, someone that we, we know. And man, she had said something. She was going to be a blessing to this person. And boy, did ugly flesh rise up out of my mouth. I mean, it was quick. There was this judgment that I had toward this person. I was like, definitely, definitely not. We're not, we're not blessing them. Like, they're just this, and they're just this, and they're just this. And even while I was saying it, I was like, oh, that's, that's just flat out ugly, Justin. <laughs> and a little while later, I just had to apologize to Sarah because I hate that that came out of me. The only reason it came out of me was because I have a right 
for that person not to take anything more from us. And so I stood on my right to feel toward that person, not the way that God feels toward them, but the way that they made me feel. And so they control now how I live my Christian life. And how many of us are controlled by what our parents did, by what our uncle did, by what this person did? And I know some, some of you go, well, you just don't know my... Totally, I don't. But I realize this, until you deny self, this thriving relationship with God is always hampered because either circumstance or what somebody has done to you or did not do for you will always keep you in a place of being controlled. Not by truth, but by something external. And so I believe it's time for this particular set of messages regarding faith to be injected into our community. There's a phrase in Romans 1.17, it won't be on the screen, but it says that we are going from what? Faith to faith. That phrase simply means that we're going from this young, immature, non-developed faith into a maturing faith. So what that means is that I'm here, and Jesus is going, I'm bringing you here. But there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to get there, and so when he's doing the sermon or preaching the sermon on the mount, he says, hey, hey, if somebody causes you to go one mile, he said, you know what we do? We go two. Why? Because we deny? Yeah. And if somebody's coming to take something from you, you know what we do? We actually give them something more. Why? Because we have denied our, ourselves. We've given up our right to allow someone else or something else to dictate if I'm going to stand in truth or not. And it says this, that, or I wrote here, is that this new life in Christ, it begins with faith, of course, in Jesus, the death and resurrection, but then we must live it out by faith. On a daily basis, trusting and resting in the finished work of Christ, and we hold firm unto that until the end. It's refusing. Faith is refusing to settle. Karen's back there. Karen has been coming for nine, ten months, and she's had a cane for most of that time. Sometimes she's not able to make it, or wasn't able to make it early on because of the difficulties and the challenges. Now she comes up these stairs and she worships on the team. But faith... Go ahead, yeah, give it up because God's grace is on her life. But faith is not, oh man, if she had faith, she would have not had any of those challenges. That's not what faith is. Faith is refusing to settle for what life has brought your way. My daughter is diagnosed with diabetes 1. I remember my daughter who actually so sincerely said to the doctor, have you ever seen anybody healed? She was seven years old and she asked the doctor, have you ever seen somebody healed from diabetes? He did, probably didn't fully understand what she meant by it, but he told her no. And I just know me and Sarah were refusing to settle that that is going to be on her life, her entire life. Amen. It's there. It's a reality. But there's a greater reality that I'm holding on to that I'm refusing to settle for that. Some of you are refusing to settle. I know Christine, she just got up and out of here, but Christine is here. It's Christine, that was her, right? Christine, refusing to settle, had a stroke almost six years ago or five and a half years ago. And it's like, uh, my encouragement is, whatever it is, I, I, uh, uh, Chris back there, refuse to settle for what life says. This is how you will always be. This is who you will always be. You'll never make it. You're not going to go farther. You're never going to be used by God. You've disqualified yourself. Faith goes, I'm refusing to settle for something contrary to what God has spoken over my life. And I'm not going to go back there. I'm refusing to settle for functional Christianity because I want a thriving relationship with God. And so it's this place of constantly growing. Remember, faith is responsive. It's never initiating. You do never, you never initiate with God. He is always the initiator. And so when he came and he redeemed mankind, Jesus said, it is what? Finish. He goes, now respond to that. Respond to the finished work. Oh, what does the finished work mean? It means that you're redeemed and you've been sanctified. You've been made holy. You are now walking in the righteousness of God. You've been justified in his sight. You are free to live the life that God has called you to live. Respond to that reality. 
Yeah, but I don't feel like you love me, God. It's okay. Respond that I proved my love by sending my son to die just for you. Respond to that. And so we're responding to God. We're not trying to initiate, God, if I do this, will you do? No, God says, I did it all. All I'm asking you to do is just respond. I'm not asking you to earn it, strive for it, try to make sure you know that you deserved it. I'm just saying respond. And so I mentioned this last week. I just switched two of the words, but I want you to see this. Faith is responding to who God is and to what Jesus did. So when you're walking in a situation, some of you maybe have been given a bad report or some things are challenging in your life or you know there's a promise of God that you have yet to see inside your life. Let's go back to my daughter for a second. So we know that the doctor has diagnosed her. You have diabetes 1. There's no cure for it. There's only a way to praise the Lord for technology these days. It's been something of a godsend to our family. But now what is faith? Faith isn't denying it. Faith isn't saying you don't have it, Summer. Faith isn't saying, you know what, we don't need insulin today because you're, you're completely fine. That's not faith. Faith is what? Responding to who God is. So how do I do that? God, I know you're what? You're good. You always have my daughter's best in mind and you're never, you're always setting her up to succeed. So I know there's a call in my daughter's life and I know that somehow, way, he's going to work all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I'm responding to what? Who he is. He is always good. And now what else am I responding to? What Jesus did on, by my stripes, she is what? So I'm going to respond that, Father, I thank you that you are the great physician. You are Jehovah Rapha, her healer. And I thank you that one day, whenever it may come, that you are going to bring healing to that little body, but that your purpose will be fulfilled inside her life. What did I do? I responded. And it says, by faith, we please the Father. I didn't have to take any steps. I didn't have to go and do something and throw some pills down the, the toilet to prove that I was walking by faith. I'm just responding to who God is. And that's why James said, count it all what? Joy. So I can count it all joy somehow, some way. Knowing just what, two weeks ago, literally, we almost lost our daughter twice. At nighttime, she went probably close to 600. We couldn't get it down for nothing. And finally, I think by 1, 12, 31 a.m., she finally cracked the 400 going down. And then the next morning, she was at 54 going straight down. And you just have to respond. Faith is not going, oh, my gosh, God, what are we going to do? God, heal her. God, do this. No, that's fear. That's panicking. Faith is going, I respond that, God, you are her father. You are her provider, you are her protector, you are her caregiver, and I know that that girl has a, a lifespan according to your plan for her, and nothing will cause that to come short. Not a single organ is going to begin to fail, because Father, you are the one that cares for her even more than I do. And I respond to what Jesus has done on her behalf. So faith is a perspective that you live from. You're not trying to become a person of faith. No, just respond to who God is and what Jesus has done on that cross. It's living from heaven's view on why you're here and where he's living, leading us. Because God knows where he's leading us sometimes, amen? Like, why are we living in Illinois? We don't know. Why do we start a church in Illinois? God knows only why. And so faith is a lens that looks at every problem with excitement and wonder. That's the ability to see things through the lens of Jesus Christ is that when you have a problem, you ask a question, not God, what are you up to? God, what are you, what are you up to? Like, I know if you're allowing me to face some of these challenges, and maybe many of us face challenges because of stupid, dumb decisions. Can I get a Amen. amen. But even with that, God is a redeemer. He's a redeemer of time. And I realize that, God, what are you up to? Why are we going down this path? Why are we facing off with these challenges? Who do you want to be for me right now, God, that you couldn't be for me at any other time in life? When we walk by faith, it produces a true joy that's not dictated by another person. Wow. That there's not, there's not one of you that I need to be happy. 
Why? Because my fulfillment comes from Him alone. He is the source of my joy. That when you walk by faith, what? Responding to who God is and to what Jesus did, guess what? There's a peace within you that passes all understanding and it guards your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. When you respond to who God is and to what Jesus did for you, you begin to now hold on tightly, or sorry, it causes you to overcome and conquer fear and anxiety and worry. There will be this inability, I want you to see this, as you learn to walk by this, which is responding to who God is and to what Jesus did, there becomes this an inability to buckle under pressure. To hate life. Why? Because you now walk by faith and not by... Faith is embracing the author and the perfecter of your faith. You're not the author of this thing and you're not the perfecter. By Holy Spirit, he's showing you how to respond to who God is and to what Christ did for you 2,000 years ago. Faith is holding on to and standing firm in your Father's perspective. And here's where I really want to make sure I, I get my point across. We'll build from this for just a few more minutes and then we'll finish. Faith is resting in God's love. Life has a way in all of our lives of causing us to disbelieve how much God truly loves us. Paul even prayed for a church at Ephesus, a great church. He said, I pray that you'll begin to understand the depth and the height and the length and the width of the love of God, that you would be grounded in the love of God, that you would be unmovable and all completely stable in what? God's love for you. And the reason why it is so difficult to be grounded in the love of God is because we know it up here. It's one of the greatest difficulties I know for my own relationship with God is for him to bypass what I know up here so it can be completely rooted down here. So you look over a passage and you go, John 3, what? 16. For God so that he gave his only... Oh, yeah, I know. I know that, right? And we move on when there's such a depth to that one verse right there. For many of us in this room, it was just one part of one verse that God saved you with one part of one verse. And what could he do if we start to believe so deeply in the revelation that God loves us so much? Look at these words, Galatians 2.20. Did I put it on the screen? Yep. We got a new boy back there, Johnny Boy. Give it up for Johnny Boy. I told them I, uh, I have to act like an adult on Sundays. But other than that, we have a lot of fun. So, I have been crucified with what? Christ. With who? Christ. It is no longer I who live. Deny yourself. You don't, don't pick up that old man. Christ now lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in who? That's how we live this life. It's not faith in what's to come. It's not faith in I hope God does this for me or does this for me. No, I live by faith now in the Son of God who loved me. He loved me and He gave Himself for me. And He loves you and He gave Himself for you. And so now faith is responding to the Christ who lives on the inside of you. You put your faith in the Son of God. Amen. Your faith is not in a church and a pastor. Your faith is not in anything except the Son of God who loved you and He gave Himself up for you. All faith, everything I'm talking about, it works through one thing called love. Galatians 5 says, says faith working through love. This means that love is the driving force behind all of our faith. If you remove or diminish God's love in your life, and hasn't the enemy done an amazing job to cause us to doubt our, God's love for us, to move us into the place of functioning now, performing for his love, as we perform for his love, guess what? We feel like we never measure up 
to his love. And so our faith now is in what? Our little legs to obey a great holy God. When in fact, if we would just put our faith in the Lamb of God, who is perfect. Because when Abel brought his sacrifice and Cain brought his sacrifice, what was the difference between the two? Cain's was a, the produce or the result of his own what? Labor. And this one was, this one was, it's okay everybody, this one was the result of an animal that I didn't do anything for. I produced all this and now I offer to God this amazing sacrifice of my labor and God said, and he honored this and so we put our trust upon the love of God and many of us try hard to believe when we should just be seeking a greater revelation of God's love for us. It's okay, Gary. Then faith would just naturally work. I've heard so many people make this statement. I just need to have more. And Jesus never said that. He, he was sleeping on the boat. The winds were breaking. And the disciples woke him up and said what? Master, we are perishing. Do something. He calmed the storms. And what did he say to them? Oh, you of little faith. He didn't say you need to have more faith because faith is responding. He says, you guys lack one thing. You don't realize how loved I am by my Father above. This boat's not doing anything without God's protection. And you don't realize how much I love you. So this boat's, this boat's going to be the, the most safest place in the world is on a boat in a storm with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so he didn't say, he didn't rebuke them for you need to have more faith. He just said, oh, you lack something. This revelation of who I am, I'm the son of God, which means the father is watching over us every single moment of the day. So love produces faith. It's what makes faith work. We naturally trust those we know who truly loves us. And I love that song out there. It says that he knows us the most and he still loves us the most. That he knows everything about you. And that's why I remember that widow who he was, she was mixing with Jesus at the well, or she wasn't a widow, the woman at the well, and Jesus was like, man, I have life that I could give you, like eternal life. And she started to go in her own dialogue about who God is for and worshiping and uh, why are you talking to me? And, um, and he began to say, he said, go get your, uh, your spouse. He goes, well, I don't have one. She, he said, you're right. You've actually had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not even your husband. He didn't do that to call her out. Why did he do that? So that he could show her, I know your mess, and I still extended you everything I have. That's really important. Because now I am getting something from Jesus, not based upon, well, he doesn't know what I'm thinking. No, he knows everything you're thinking. And he's still. So faith is responsive. And let me, six more minutes. Deal? Faith is responsive to what? God's love for me. Here's his love. Go ahead and put that on the screen if you can. I, yeah. I just, you know I've, I shared this like in month number one. And I share it probably every two messages. And I just feel like the Lord is saying, Justin, it's, we're not done with it yet. That they know it up here, but it's not here yet. So faith is responding. It's realizing what? That he loves me. What does that mean? That he is always Good. Always. Even when you have a bad day, he's good. Even when he allows something in your life that you go, why in the wood would you even allow something like that? He is still good. There is no evil in him. There's not an ounce in him that goes, I'm just going to mess with them today. <laughs> and if he does, he does it in a good way. But he is always good, New Day. He is always, always, always good. Second one is that he always has your best in mind. You are his son and, your and you are a daughter of the living God. And there are times where we have to give some, uh, Carly Rose purple medicine that tastes like gasoline or something. Or at least she acts like that. Okay? She hates us for it. She's petrified of it. It's a 15-minute fight with all of us. And uh, eventually that stuff is going to get in her throat. And we're going to hold her lips until that thing goes down into her tummy. But 
she would see it as, he does not have my best in mind. She feels bad, but she needs some medication. And so she would see it as, what you're doing to me is not nice. And sometimes we pick up the same thing from a kid to an adult. We look at God and we go, what you're uh, uh, doing to me? And we think he's doing it to us? Nope, that is not nice at all, Lord. So yes, you may be always good, but not to me. And you, all, you always have maybe your best in mind, God, but you don't have my best in mind. And then the last one is that he's always what? Setting you up to succeed in what he's called you to do. How does he get a young man who is thir- or 17 years old, a boy named Joseph with a destiny on his life, how does he prepare a 17-year-old boy to become the second in command of one of the richest, most powerful nations in the world? We would think, well, let's give him a little path. Let's put some goals in front of him and say, okay, you have 13 years to really grow and develop yourself. No, what does God do? I mean, this is crazy because at the end of the day, Joseph found his, or the brothers that found him, they interacted. And what did he say to his brothers? You did not send me here, but God. So somehow he went through getting thrown into a pit, getting sold into slavery, becoming a slave, getting accused of adultery with one of the highest officials at the time, getting thrown into jail, getting forgotten in jail, and then finally coming before Pharaoh, all that he saw through a lens of, God, you're always good. And you always, somehow, somewhere, I didn't feel like it at the moment, had my best in mind. And what were you doing? You were setting me up to do what you've called me to do. I know our daughter has something God's called her to do. And I can tell you the challenges that she faces just being a diabetic at a young age, are going to prepare her for a story that could impact the world if she sees that God is always good. I try to inject this all the time into her summer. God is always good to you. He always has your best in mind, no matter whether you have diabetes or you have cancer or whatever it is, and he's always setting you up to succeed in what he's called you to do one day. If I can persuade her of how good God is, she'll not look at her little devices on her stomach and go, this means he is not good. Look at, I don't have my ring on today. Sorry, Sarah. I took it off for wrestling the nephew boys last night. So (laughs) it better be in one of my pockets. But some of you look at your finger and go, you don't have a ring anymore. And you go, how that guy treated me, that divorce, God, you're not good. Some of you look and you don't have a job right now and you look and you go, God, you can't be good. And so what we're facing off with, life has become more real than the truth that he's always good. He's always has your best in mind and he's setting you up to succeed. And so let me close with this statement. Ryan, you can come up. Every situation that we face in, because God's not ignorant, ignorant of the situations we face, is an opportunity for an upgrade in God's goodness being revealed in your life. Okay, I, want, I want to say that again. Every situation, both good and bad, is an opportunity for God to reveal his goodness to us. Look at Romans chapter 8.28 in the Passion, Passion Translation. I think Jackson and Nico are fired, man. I think you got the job. Um, So we are convinced. We are what? Convinced. Some of us aren't there yet. Sometimes I'm not there. We are convinced that every detail of our lives is woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. We are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's plan. When you are convinced of that, the enemy can poke you all he wants. 
He'll send people into your life, circumstances in your life. He'll do whatever he can. He'll throw you in prison. And yet, if you believe this, you will begin to sing hymns and prayer in prison. Why? Because God's always good. And faith is not me trying to muster up how to live for God. Faith is just responding to who God is and to what Jesus did for me on that cross. I will not be moved. I will not settle for less than what God has promised in my life. Hebrews 11 shows so many people who would not settle, and some of them never saw it. But they stand watching us as a cloud of witnesses watching us today go after what God has for us. Amen? Amen. Would you please stand with me? You can go ahead and play a little bit. There's a tagline we have on our website that says we are learning to enjoy God together. Sometimes those two words don't go together, enjoy God. Marianne, you're like, oh Lord. Congratulations on getting saved last week. Can we give Jesus a hand? But I say this because we have a fun little interaction with each other every Sunday morning is that God has been wooing her and loving on her, winking at you. And I love it because she's learning how to respond to the love of a father, to enjoy a God who we go, oh, he's so holy and so righteous. He says, yes, but I placed you in Christ so when you come in, you can experience my presence just like Jesus would. And you can enjoy a relationship that you didn't earn for, that you don't disqualify for. You can enjoy it because of what Christ did on your behalf. Guys, the Christian life should be one of joy. Like overwhelming, like the good news is good every single stinking day. I shouldn't even add stinking. Every single day, it is good news. It's great news. And so I just want to remind you that you are God's beloved. And he delights in all of you. Some of your actions, he's reshaping. He's killing off some things that need to die inside your life and he's reminding you that you are not your old man, you are a new person and he is pursuing you every single day to remind you of who you are. So would you just extend your hands like this? I just wanted to pray over you. Father, I pray that they would just receive everything that is theirs because them being a son and daughter of the living God. And I pray that the anointing of God that was upon the word of God this morning, has the ability to keep on transforming them into the image of Jesus Christ. And that they would rise up and be the sons and daughters that you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, would you say, I receive? I receive. I receive. Well, let's give Jesus one round of applause, amen? He's a good God. Uh, as we normally do before we close off the song, I just want to give you an invitation to continue to partner with us at New Day.